Radio. A new for something completely similar. Increases the word, is the word, is the word. It's got moves, it's got meaning. Bop, 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 bop. Take it, Jason. Summer <laughs> had me a blast. Jason, how, fuck you. That's not the song. Brendan, of all the songs that are in the movie Grease, the one you want me to remember is the one that's over the fucking end credits. Fuck you. We take our problems and we fade away. That's not a thing you wrong to yesterday. They had to have a radio hit, didn't they? And they couldn't trust the 50 sound and shit. Now they had to have a disco hit. Listen, Jason, enough of this. Let's do the hand jive. Let's 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 talk about what this is. This is a podcast. It is. It is a podcast about film. British film, mostly. A hundred of them. Mm. The BFI, the British Film Institute. Yes. Top 100. Mm. Feel it, baby. British films. As British as they get. Of all British time and space. As ordained by the fine people at the British Film Institute in the year of our Lord, 1999. 75, 80-year-old white dudes. No doubt. But that's not what we're doing this week, Brendan, because we are doing the final, the finale in our last run. It's our very last episode of anything. Goodbye forever. No, Jetpack. No, no. Not quite. We're getting there. So, Jason, we waste a lot of time on this podcast every week. No matter whether no matter whether we know we have a lot to talk about or don't. Thank we, God we, we don't. are very inconsiderate with your time. And, and, and thank God we don't have a regular time slot because oh we'd be messed. We'd be like, we'd have to have that deal that like Monday Night Raw used to have yeah. where if they needed to go 15 minutes over, they did. But the rest would be like 45 minutes. We got the, the, what do they call it, the overrun? Yeah, they're like, we're just like a sport. We need time. That's right. So if we go into overrun, folks, stick with us. It'll be worth it. But speaking of sports, this movie we're talking about this week has very little to do with sports. No, I mean, tangentially. They, they love football over there. And for you Yanks and Canucks, that means soccer here. I think our audience is not stupid. I may have said differently in the past, but truly, I don't believe they're dumb. You do question everybody's intelligence at some point in time. Well, what else am I going to do? I, I, uh, it's a reflection of my own uh, lack of self-worth. All right. <laughs> Jason, we're going to talk about the, this is the last one, like you said, the last edition of a Now for Something Completely Similar. We are going to talk about the sequel hmm. to a movie we talked about some time ago. Yes. Uh, Trainspotting. This yeah. is, of course, T2 Trainspotting. No, no, no colon, I don't think. I think it's just T2 Trainspotting, isn't it? Which is an interesting way to, to name it. At one point, this was going to be at least, I don't know how much it is, but it was going to be based on the, the sequel novel, it's called porno, and that would have been interesting if this movie had just been called porno. <laughs> would have been very misleading, I bet, to a lot of people. Yeah, but you know what? It probably might have made more at the box office. Maybe. It just, exactly, from the, the trick the audience uh, yeah. uh, approach. Although Zack and Miri make a porno, not so, didn't do so well. Well, but that's different, though, because that's clear. it's clear in the title that it's Zack and Miri make a porno, so it's like, oh, it's a movie about making porno. I don't want to making of. I want to watch the damn porno. So if it just been called Zack and Miri's Porno, I think it could have made $20 million at the box office. I think you're onto something, kid. 
But clearly wanting to cash in on the success of Terminator 2, they decided to name the movie T2. And this movie is very similar to Terminator 2. I really do enjoy the the semi-chase through the canals of Scotland. Yeah, and it's really cool that um, they they wanted to uh, cash in on the success of T2 only 26 years after its release. Well, that's in. They were waiting for their opportunity, and they finally got it. It was e- even before they made the original movie. They thought, well, we'll make this first movie here, Train Spotting, so that we'll be ready. So I want to tell you just right off the bat, just before I forget, the, the this movie is called T Two Train Spotting, and the re- and Danny Boyle, the director of this movie, of course, and the original, mm. said that the reason he just came up with that title and wanted it to stick is that he thought it would. He thought. Um, the the characters in this movie would enjoy potentially pissing off someone like James Cameron. Uh, and he actually said, it's called T2 right now. However, stay tuned because I don't know if we're going to get sued. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it great? It's crazy too as you placing this movie hmm. because when we talked about the original, that was what, 1996 maybe? Six? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. 96. So everyone in the, in the movie, very different stage of their lives. Mm-hmm. Ewan McGregor, barely known. Yeah. Certainly the other ones were not. Robert Carlyle in 1996. Uh, had Johnny Lee been in Hackers by that point? I mean, yeah, but I don't think in he 95. set the world on fire, baby. It, you know what? It's a cult hit that's mm-hmm. appeal has gone up exponentially, but I don't think it only took a year. Uh, the other Ewan, Ewan Bremer, was still five years out from his uh, star-making performance in Pearl Harbor. I thought you were going to say he was only uh, seven years out from his star-making performance in The Rundown. Oh. The booze on the grind! <laughs> and, of course, the great Robert Carlyle, who I've pointed out once played Hitler. I mean, he had done stuff, but nobody in the movie was at a, a, a huge level of fame. Yeah, because Robert and, Carlyle was still like a year away from Full Monty. Yeah, and certainly not Danny Boyle No, at, at the time. And so it's just interesting because this sequel comes along, again, 21 years later, mm. Danny Boyle is a, is like an Oscar-winning filmmaker by that point. Uh, Ewan McGregor's Mc- goddamn Obi-Wan Kenobi. Well, I, and even besides Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ewan McGregor's a huge star. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's done he's been Moulin Rouge, yeah. uh, Birds of Prey. Even recently, he's been doing stuff. So He did that show where he drove a motorcycle a, a long ways. Sure. Yeah, it was a British show. He used to go, I think it was called Long Way Round. And then I think the AMC stole that idea and said, Walking no, Dead. and said to Norman Reedus from The Walking Dead, hey, why don't you drive a motorcycle somewhere? Uh, and then he's like, cool. And then that show was advertised in the video game Death Stranding, which he also stars in. So there you go, trivia, folks. But we are watching Train Spotting 2. Well, we have watched Train No, no, Spotting we're going to watch it right now. All right. Everybody get ready. Get press play when I say go. Okay. And go. Go. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like oh. that music. <laughs> okay, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. I, I'm, I'm glad we watched it on 128X. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it. <laughs> so, Jason, this movie, going into this movie, yeah. what are you, what are your, okay, because I know, I'm just going to preface this. I know sure. my expectations were somewhat like, I, I'd heard it was good. Hmm. I heard, I'd heard it was good. So I, yeah. I kind of went in and was like, you know what? I'm just not going to get my hopes. I'm not going to think of train spotting. Hmm. I'm just it's gonna, it's expected to enjoy this. What, what were you thinking? Well, what were you thinking? Like like many things, you know, I'm always suspicious with going into a movie that I don't believe needed a sequel. And I never thought train spotting really needed a sequel because, it, you know, there, there's some ambiguity at the end. But ultimately, I thought that worked in the movie's favor. Right? Of course, your famous rant at the end of that episode. Did no, I? There was no, <laughs> no there was no rant. I mean, I wouldn't put it past me. No, I it, like I like the ending, and I like an ambiguous ending. I like like uh, like a Sopranos, like where you get to think about it, and you can kind of wonder and discuss it, and and you know, because often if you're told, it's not as exciting, right? Right. So, but I also like you, and I heard this movie was all right, so I I went in, you know, trying to be positive about it, and kind of interested to see because 
the big question, of course, at the end of the last movie is we got Renton having fucked over uh, three quarters of everybody by... Well, basically, he's fucked over two of his friends, yes. Bagby, played by Robert Carlyle, yeah. and... Uh, Sick Boy. Sick Boy, uh, played by Johnny Miller, yeah. and secretly given some money to Spud. Well, he gave Spud his share. He gave him 4,000 pounds. His yeah. share of the money, yeah. But r- robbed the other two. Yeah. So and then took off, and so yeah. he was like going to try to like get his life together. That, and so he's been gone for twenty years. He's been gone for twenty years, and then at least at first we don't know why, but he comes back. Right. He comes back home. Well, and we do have that great scene at the beginning that mimics the opening of the first one, where he's like a running on the treadmill. Because he's running, yeah. And in the first one, you know, he's very youthful and he's yeah. running through the streets. In this one, he's just kind of like a little bit out of shape, a little doughy. He's clearly older, and he's yeah. running on a treadmill, which is pretty funny. I will, although I will say though, that shot would have been funnier. If they started on his face yeah. and we just saw the running and yeah. then pulled back and, and saw the yes, treadmill in the gym. Treadmill, yeah. I was actually kind of surprised. I was like, you know, I think 1996 Danny Boyle would have done that. Well, why don't you write Danny Boyle a letter and then you can backseat uh, direct his movie for him? How about that? Dear Sir, Slumdog Millionaire was pretty good, but didn't see it. I have a criticism about Train Spotting 2. Who mm. hold on to your hat. 28 paragraphs later, am I right? <laughs> At least. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I mean, I just, that's a small thing, but I, yeah. I do like that that it mirrors the opening of Train Spotting. And of course, he's older, so, and we learn this when he takes a heart attack right at the beginning of the movie and very brutally face plants off the uh, <laughs> treadmill. I thought. I thought that they were really going to start the movie with him dying. <laughs> I thought this was going to be, well, because I thought I was like, and then they cut to like whatever happens next. And I was like, oh, is this like he dies and then we're seeing what led up to that? Or are we just seeing Or he like, dies and then it's like, it's like big chill. It's like, you know, everybody coming together because a uh, uh, rent boy died. But I knew he's the star. He's yeah. not going to die. He's not going to be not in the movie. Well, maybe they were going to pull a Steven Seagal on it. Maybe that would have been a brilliant, uh, brilliant thing, and it would have pissed off people. I feel like Ewan McGregor is a nicer person than Steven Seagal. Maybe that's a hot take. I mean, I would say there's a good seventy percent chance that's true. <laughs> seventy, seventy percent. Wow, chance. you're lowballing it. I mean, he's but that's the thing. He's also Scottish, so there's there's definitely ah, some fire. Ah, he's he's good people. They are good. I've people. never heard anything bad about uh, Mr. McGregor. That's true. Except right? for that, the farmer, the farmer and Peter Rabbit. However, Mr. Oh. McGregor, oh. that's a, uh, it's a, uh, an ancestor of his. He's a handful. He works every goddamn day of his life, Brendan. He's working to make up for his ancestors' uh, uh, evil that he put into the world. He's got his he's got his farmer's guilt. Absolutely, uh, but train spotting yeah, too. Train spotting too. We got so much to talk about. No farmers in train spotting. No, too. no farmers. But we do have the return of our four main characters, plus yeah. a couple of surprises. Yeah. Um, but Jason, we gotta mention where everyone's at because you mentioned Ewan McGregor Renton so, has Renton, a heart attack. Well, yeah, his heart attack. And but this is he's over the hill. Yeah, he's he's old, but he's also he has gotten his life together to some extent. Like he's clearly he's, he's clean. He's clean. He's uh, working a job. He's gotten married at some point. Uh, and uh, yeah, claims he has children at one point. Does not. Does not. <laughs> Although we never get a clear answer on that, so yeah, we find out that he claims he has children, but then he doesn't, and then he and then he's asked at one point, "Is that?" part of the reason for the divorce and he's like yeah but it's never indicated whether it's because he doesn't want children or he does want children i think he does want children. i got the feeling that he because wanted he, because he had the names in mind i got the feeling that he wanted children and i also got that feeling because i feel like he not only because you said he turned his life around he got yeah. clean and i think that was probably a big part of it he's like it's not complete until i take on the 
like the most yeah. furthest I can get away, I'll have children. And the girl he was with was probably like, you don't want this because you want this. You want this because this is your like, you know, your journey or whatever. That's my that's my that's my take. And that's interesting, too, that he's I just thought about this now, but he's the only one of that core group that are, is not a father in some way. Because, of course, Sick Boy had the baby that died. And he also says he has a kid. He does mention it. We don't think we ever see them. Though he only sees, he sees once every 10 years, like and a of good course, father. Spud has Wee Fergus, who I think is like 17. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Bagby, and has, Bagby a kid. has a son who is trying to make a legitimate living as a hotel manager or training to become one, and that is a problem. Yes. <laughs> so, okay, so, well, Bagby. Bagby. Bagby, so, as okay. predicted. Let's talk about this. Okay. So, my biggest question going into this was, how could they do a sequel to this movie? Because if... Renton shows his face around these people again. Begbie is going to murder him because Begbie. Does, I mean, like you, you could see Sick Boy and Spud maybe not holding a grudge. Spud wouldn't because he fucking helped him out. Sick Boy, he's an asshole, but he's not going to murder him. He's it's Sick Boy is a coward too. Yeah, he's a coward. Or Simon, as he goes by in this movie, he's right. The he's Sick very Boy prof- he's very professional now. That's right. But Begbie is a fucking psychotic person we know this we saw this in the last movie we remember of course when he tossed the fucking glass and he's like i'm gonna fucking murder the cunt in this room who fucking did glass this woman and then causes a glass this last glass this last yeah um so he so okay the movie opens up and he's in prison and it's like okay here we are and he's talking with his lawyer and his fucking lawyer is like you know i tried to i tried to help you but uh, they're giving you an extra five years he's like but did you mention the diminishment of responsibility like trying to come up with some like insanity defense basically of a sort or and he's like oh, i didn't think it was prudent and of course begbie attacks him and he's stuck in prison for five more years and Which, i gotta say so begbie like you said, this is the only way they can get away with this, and I'm glad they said he's just in prison. Yeah. Did we find out? Is it because of the of the theft, or did he does he did he has he murdered someone? I thought he said he killed a guy. He at did one say point. he killed a guy. I don't know that that's what he was murdered for. He said that he killed the guy because <laughs> you don't know that that's he what was, he was murdered for. Oh, sorry, I, th- that was what he was clipped for. Like why he was in jail. <laughs> yeah, clearly he was in jail for something, some sort of violent crime because he was getting more time and he'd been there a long time. I wonder if he actually murdered someone though, because you think about Bagby, and that's yes, true. he's violent, he's brutal. He also he's loves people. He loves a tall tale as well. Exactly. Yeah. But he, he claimed that he had murdered someone because he was thinking of Renton at the time. Mm. And it was just some guy that didn't mean anything to him, but he saw Renton in him and fucking murdered him. Yeah, because Begbie is pissed. Mm. Um, so I, I want to say that uh, Begbie has some very interesting character turns in this Remember, movie. and it's this is over 4,000 pounds, which is not an insignificant amount of money. But like, in you know, back then, like that's what? It's like seven or eight grand Canadian even back in the 90s, like, you know, it's a good chunk of change, but that's not nothing worth murdering somebody over. Even even in one of my favorite movies with but a his, low his ball of His pride's amount. been attacked. His Jason. pride has been attacked, too. I was going to say, though, but even in Payback with Mel Gibson, like, he's going after, like, $64,000, and everybody questions him on it because he's like, really? Only sixty four grand? you are fucking up all these people? That's how crazy Begbie is. He doesn't give a fuck. No, and, and the thing is, so he eventually makes his way out of prison because he, he fakes. <laughs> so this is the thing, though. He fa- so he gets the guy to stab him and well, he, he fucks it up. Well, he doesn't fake it. No, he actually gets stabbed. No, no, but he gets the guy to stab him. <laughs> yeah. Um, he fucks up and goes right through his fucking gut. But the thing is, my question is, and then he, you know, he gets himself put in the hospital. Uh, the the guy leaves the room and he's able to sneak his way out and beat up the doctor and steal his uniform. That struck me as too smart for Begbie. Well, I don't know. He's he's a, he's a psychopath, but he's also not stupid. He. I feel like he's kind of stupid. Well, maybe. But I, he, just, the fact that he was, well, maybe he is stupid and maybe that's why he tried it because it seems like a stupid thing to do the way he did it. Like, cause it's like a movie thing. Like, yeah. like him just like getting out and then solid snaking a fucking doctor and taking his, and actually more hitman, hitmaning a doctor and taking his outfit and sneaking out. Like, By the way, 
Do you know that Robert Carlyle, whenever he talks about Begbie, he's like, oh, I play him with the knowledge in my head that he's a closeted homosexual. Oh, interesting. I didn't think of that. Yeah. But that would that does make sense of the way he kind of is repressed and... Because I I thought in this movie so he makes his way makes his way to his house it's a hilarious oh, yeah. scene where he sneaks in the window and the and the wife is like oh and he's like oh calm down it's just me love yeah oh yeah I haven't seen you in my house in twenty years yeah but that oh I didn't think about that but now that you mention that yeah obviously because he's he's clearly having trouble getting it up I um, thought he was just impotent yeah that's what I thought too that's what but, I gleamed but but he's also been in prison for twenty years so he's probably had some experimentation uh, right messed around a little bit but Carlisle said like the char- like, even in the first train spotting that's how he played him oh, with cool. with that in the back of his head. But yeah, so he yeah he goes over. Yeah, his wife is there. He has a kid, um, full grown adult. He's going. Mm. He wants to go to college, and he gets some like. I think in the first one he was more of a, like a cra- he was a crazy psycho. He was not one dimensional, but you know he didn't really have any redeeming qualities. They kind of they kind of do that in this movie a little he, bit. We do see a slightly more human side of him because we do have that late movie moment where he kind of comes back to his family and he's like, "Look, I'm probably what because he's going to go kill Renton. That's what he wants to do." And he's like, "Look, I'm going to go do something and I'm probably not coming back for a long time. So look, I just want to say, you know, I just thought I'd come by and say good luck, son. That's all. Thanks, Dad. See, it's difficult for me because." We never had any of that when I was a boy. Not like the uh, hotel. Management? No, hotel fucking management. All that shit. No, never had any of that. Still. World changes, agent. Even if we don't. So, look after yourself, son. The old wine always my feather. This fool is yours. You'll be a better man than either of us. See, most of that scene, if you look at him, he doesn't even look him in the eye. He's like staring off and he has a really hard time making that human connection. Clearly, clearly that's difficult for him. But he does it because he does, he clearly does care about these people in a way that he can. Yeah, because he's well, weird. Because his whole his whole conflict is with his son. Because he even takes his son on a on a on a on a job. Oh, a job they burgle yeah. a house, which is a hilarious scene because the guy catches them and Robert Carlyle charges them and says "cunt," and then and beats the fuck out of the guy. And then when they go to see the dude, the Mikey, whatever, which, the is, mobster. which is Irvine Welsh, the guy that wrote the book. Yeah, well, the yeah. guy, the the mob boss guy. Yeah, the mob boss guy. They go to see him, and he like gives the kid credit for beating up the dude, and then he's like, "Well, that's not really what happened." And then he puts him in a headlock. Ah, this guy. <laughs> right. And then he's like, outside, he's like, "Look, I covered for you, but next time, son or not, I'm gonna beat the fuck out of you." <laughs> yeah. So he's trying to get him to do that, and the son clearly has no interest in in doing this life. He wants to go to college. No, he's clearly like he's just a good kid trying to make his way. He's he, the guy has not a criminal bone in his body. I mean, maybe he and maybe that's intentional. Maybe he doesn't want to be like his dad. You know. Yeah. What? Well, yeah. I mean. I'm sure the mom was like, "No, don't be like Bigby," <laughs> but he, uh, yeah. So, so they they have that kind of relationship, and he kind of says that he kind of says towards the end, like, you know what, you do what you want to do, man. I love you. Yeah, and he's he's kind of like my dad was a fuck up, and I'm a, a fuck up too, but maybe you won't be. Like, yeah, that's it's not, kind of an interesting. Yeah. It's 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 interesting because it's a risky thing to do. Yeah, because in, it, it could so easily go wrong. And that and and honestly, Brendan, this movie is full of moments that so easily could have been terrible mm-hmm. if they had been done by somebody with a less well, talented hand. And I also just meant it's it's a risky thing to do just because like. 
you're also not only are you giving this character kind of a one little sympathetic vibe, mm. which is which would make some people go like, oh, which what are up we to doing? this point there has been no sympathetic vibes in Begbie whatsoever, nothing. But yeah. you're also banking on the audience caring about him mm. a little bit in this scene, which I did. Yeah, and I was shocked. Yeah, I know, me too. Yeah, I was like, was. Well, you've made him into like a full human. Like I feel like that's the strength of a lot of this movie is these characters, while great in the first one, and mm. I certainly think the first one is the better movie. Yeah. Um, in this one, they're given a lot of like, given some more dimension. Yeah, we we get to see how they've grown as people, and and, and clearly Begbie a little bit having that regard. I mean, and you have to think like in twenty years in prison, like he must think of his wife and child, and that is one of those things that probably does keep him going to some extent. By the way, my favorite thing he does in this movie is when he finally finds out, like when he meets up with Sick Boy, yeah. and Sick Boy of course is like, "The fuck, you're out of prison," yeah. and uh, and <laughs> Bigby tells him, uh, or Sick Boy tells him, you know, Renton is in town, and Bigby gets so mad, and he's like, "We're gonna go here. We're gonna get weapons. Do they have weapons there?" <laughs> yeah. and he's oh, like, "No, no," because he, he's, he's see Rent Boy or sorry, Sick Boy is lying to him. Well, I know because he, he's telling him he's not that he's in town, but then he's found him in Amsterdam. He's found him, but be, but my point is, Begbie getting like yeah. worked oh, up. He's like ready to go because that's uh, another thing that's probably kept him going through prison. Is like one of these days I'm going to get out. I'm going to find like, Renton and I'm going to fucking kill him. Renton is the Bart to his sideshow Bob. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. They should do that. They should just recur this tale every few years <sighs> with Kelsey Grammer doing the voice of Begbie while Robert Carlyle is doing all the mo- motions. I would like to see Kelsey Grammer attempt to do that type of Scottish accent. He's going to hang out, he's going to follow Renton home, and then... And we're going to pay him a visit. Exactly. I need a passport. Yeah, I can get you one. I'll take some weapons. Okay, well, well, we could probably get weapons there, Franco. Aye, probably. They've got that kind of stuff in Amsterdam, me. Aye. Now, the important thing is for you to keep your head down. Eh? Low profile till the passport comes through, till I get the tickets. Because this is an opportunity, Frank. I'm going to fucking tear me pieces. Most definitely fucking well. Ah! So anyway, speaking of Kelsey Grammer, Train Spotted Two. What was I talking about? Uh, you were talking about how Big B uh, could is the sideshow Bob to uh, Renton's uh, Bart. Yeah, exactly. And then we talk about the other characters. We get Sick Boy yeah. uh, now going by Simon, Simon still played yeah. by Johnny Lee Miller. He his new business is blackmailing people, blackmailing people with like like footage of them having sex with prostitutes. Which, by the way, that is a reflection of society, that society gives a shit, that these poor dudes like to get pegged by beautiful ladies, when there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to get pegged, you go get pegged. And the fact that that would be something that would embarrass them enough to pay fucking Simon money? Come on. Well, I think the first guy, though, that he's talking to has a wife and kid. Yeah. So that's a little well, that's Yes, I, that, I guess there's that, too. So maybe they're not specifically seeking out I single think, people. I think he's looking for people that are married. Yeah. I think he's looking for family men, because he has a, 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 a lady working with him, and her name is... Veronica. Veronica. And the she, biggest new character in this movie. She's my favorite. Yeah, she's I good. love her. She is cool. She is smarter than everyone else in this movie, and ultimately, she gets away with all of it. She, she pulls the Renton in this movie. But like in a way that I'm like... Like, I don't feel bad for them. No. Because, like, yeah, she no, deserved they, to get away with they, that. They fucked over, they're fucking over a, like, development fund. They, they applied to this development fund for money on the on the idea that they were going to turn this pub into a bed and breakfast. And, you know, like, help, you know, bring money to the community and gentrify it. And but they're making a sauna, quote unquote. Yeah, they want to make a brothel, essentially. And, and for Veronica to um, work in. She's going to be the, well, she's going to be the madam. Which, of course... Another element of this movie is that they then get the notice of the guy that runs most of the actual brothels in the area, 
uh, well, all of them. And he's not happy about the idea of somebody having competition. Nope. And he kidnaps uh, Simon and Renton and makes them run naked. Yeah. He, he, yeah. He takes them out of the woods and brings shovels, too. So there's there's the idea that, <laughs> yeah. okay, guess what? They're going to dig their own graves. We're, but instead, he's quite merciful. Yeah. We're going to die. Well, I think he was waiting to see, hear what their answers were. Yeah. And they both basically said, we're stupid. They Yeah. They, they basically said what he wanted to hear. And so instead of murdering them, he just stripped them of their clothes and left them in the woods. <laughs> And so we have kind of a fun scene where they they naked have to run uh, they run to a farm and steal some farm uh, some rubber boots and some coats to wrap around their waist. But I love her because she's also like she doesn't need them. No, ultimately, like she's she's with Simon. And one of the actually sweeter moments that really gives you some insight into Johnny Lee Miller's character is uh, is Renton asks her if he if she even likes him, and she says, "I think I like him more than he likes himself." Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah, he probably is dealing with some fucking depression like, now we have and, to, and 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 sick boy now simon doesn't do heroin no, anymore he does a heroin boatload of cocaine though yeah. which which you know sick boy was always a bit of an asshole but that is amplified certainly by the cocaine use mm-hmm. he's getting paranoid and and fucking angry and you know when, when he meets up with renton again like it's it's about setting Renton up. It's about like getting in good with them, getting back to that old friendship, and then getting revenge on him. Well, first they have a hilarious brawl. Yes, they have a good fight. Where, where that other one other patron in the bar is just watching, yeah. just drinking his beer. Yeah, where he yeah, where he like comes in and they have a brief chat, and, and of course Renton or Renton, not Renton. Uh, of Simon. course, of course, Simon is being very sarcastic, or at least dryly sarcastic, and asking questions about Renton's life, and Renton's answering them, and then they immediately get into a fight. And when the fight ends, when Renton uh, uh, wakes up on the pool table, he gives Simon the 4,000 pounds he stole, which pisses Simon off because he's like, you just can't buy me up and there's not even any interest. <laughs> that was like, that was 20 years ago. It's 4,000 pounds. It's four, you know, like he goes, on this, he goes on this big rant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's pissed off about it. Uh, I love how though, like skipping ahead for a second. I love how the, like when he ultimately is like, they repair their friendship. Yeah. I love how his basic reasoning, Simon's basic reasoning is like, you know what? I would have done that. Yeah. I would have ripped me off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's like, now I respect what you did. And and of course, let's not forget about the 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 heart of the group, the the most human of them, the most sympathetic, and unfortunately, the one guy that is still in the clutches of the cycle of heroin abuse is, is he Spud. by the end of the movie? Yeah. though? Well, it's certainly in the beginning of the movie. Like he's because yeah. he keeps talking about like he just. You know, he keeps going back to it. And because at one point he's like, well, no, because by the end of the movie, remember when when she wants to send him a share of the money, he's like, no, I would just spend it on skag. You got to send that to my wife and kid. Yeah, that's when Veronica is planning to take all the, to take all the money. Yeah, exactly. So she puts it this, bud. It will be safe if you leave with me. <laughs> I'm like one of the last indigenous guys around here. <laughs> I can't go anywhere. He says, clinging to the hope that he won't commit this crime against his friends. And she says, I'll send you your share. That doesn't work for me, Veronica. I just blow it all and smack. All right. I'll send it to girl then. And we, Fergus. Gail, we, Fergus. A chance to see them smile again. takes the pen and with his gift the forgery so lately underused he signs their names Simon Williamson Mark Renton he transfers the full 100,000 pounds to the bank account of Veronica Kovac in Bulgaria thank you Daniel Spud most folks call me Spud Ewan Bremner honestly 
should have gotten a nomination oh, for this. Oh yeah, he's fantastic. This. He's 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 good in the first one, but this one it's like it's he like you said, he is the heart and soul of this You movie. can see the 20 years of shit he's been through in his face. Because yeah, like cuz you know, you know Simon does cocaine, but I mean he still is very different from mm. where we saw, saw him. Renton is clean. Uh, uh, Begby is still a psycho, but he's in jail, they and he's all, got a family. They have all changed in some way. Spud yeah. is just older now. Well, it's like they all seem to have something to live for, or at least, well, Renton maybe not, but Renton's coming back home looking for something. But he's to live go, for. he's clean. That's Spud. That's his big thing. Yeah, and he's clean too. But but like Spud, Spud is having such trouble, and he he believes that he's such a fuck up and such a burden to everybody that at the beginning of the movie, when we first see him, he's ready to commit suicide, and he's in the process of it when Renton shows up to find him and ends up saving his life. And he puts a plastic bag on his head, which is a, a horrifying shot when they show that. But then it goes from really dark to really fucking funny. To comedic, yeah, really where quick. he fucking starts throwing up in the bag and then Renton has to fucking open the puke bag up and get his head out. And <laughs> it just kind of reminds me, do you remember? And then that? and then Spud attacks him, which is great. He's just like, what the fuck is that? I don't like Wait, what are you doing for 20 years? Yeah. Um, but it, it, what's great, it, it kind of reminded me, I don't know why, but that scene, in remember in Brassed Off, where that guy tries to hang himself when he's in full clown gear? Oh, yeah, Jesus, And it's yeah. like, oh, man, oh, this is kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's dark, but there's also a humor to it. It's very dark, dark comedy, dark comedy. But um, what I think is great about when Spud attacks him and is like, uh, you know, yeah, where were you for 20 years? And he's like, I gave you your cut. And he's like, of course, I'm going to spend it on Skag. Yeah. And then, like, not even a minute later, he's just like, so you're not going to kill yourself, right? And Spud, Spud just says, like, oh, I can't. Now my friend's in town. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. just completely changes his tune. Well, but there's also, there, I think there's also a little bit of, like, just like, like, like maybe bitterness in his voice, too. Of like, oh, no, I'm not going to do all my friends in town. Well, no, I think he. I think he's suddenly like a lot more open to the idea that Renton's back. I think yeah. he's the only one that truly opens up to the fact. Well, and he, well, because he was the one guy that Renton didn't fuck over, right? And that that was a testament, I guess, to who Spud was. I also like it, it's really sweet because, like you said, he's the heart and soul of this movie. And I also like how I th I think there's a moment though later on where he says like I'm I'm trying to better when he says I'm trying to better myself yeah. because they get him to work on the uh, on the brothel thing yeah and you do see you do see a montage of him still yes. doing heroin and everything but later on he says you know I'm trying to better myself I've, I'm trying to go clean and you don't see him doing that after that so I think he's on the right path I think he is because we at one point uh, Mark takes him out on a on a run and that's a really sweet moment that's a really sweet moment but he's like you know you could I know a guy who he's like you got to channel your addiction into something else the thing is you're an addict right and he's like oh, a million people they everybody tells me that he's like no but you're an addict so you got to find something to channel your addiction into that isn't heroin he said you know it could be I, I know a guy who, who did boxing and he goes boxing who wants to find could do boxing which like, well, yeah but that's just an example which leads to a hilarious raging bull parody yeah when he goes in and they do that music and it just says raging spud on the screen yeah and then he gets knocked out because because the guy he's sparring with mm. accidentally gets hit and he just hits one punch and spud is out yeah, well i mean you know he's a heroin addict he's not like he's super tough but the fact that he goes and does it he goes there and, and that's when we have that cool he bit where he comes out of the boxing takes it literally takes it literally and and it seems like he enjoys it to some extent, but then he walks out and he has that like flashback moment where we flash back to like um, Renton and them running along from the first movie and they get hit by the car and everything and yeah, there's yeah. some nice like reminiscing again. Like you said, there are so many scenes that start in this movie with me going. <gasps> 
And then they finish. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, they, they, this movie is full of callbacks. I mean, it's, and it's not just callbacks, but there are a number of callbacks to the original movie that, that in, as I say, in lesser hands would have come off as cringy or just would have like destroyed the flow of the movie or would have felt like very shameless. But everything in this movie feels right. Now, there is one moment of pure fan service, I think. Yeah. And I'll play the, I'll drop the clip here in a yeah. second. But it's when uh, Renton is in the bar with Veronica mm. and she says, can you tell me about something Simon keeps saying? Yeah. He keeps saying choose life. Choose life, yeah. And he does like a modern version. He, he basically, he's like, oh, that's a thing we used to do. So we kind of go like this and he starts doing it and he gets into it. And it is a modern approach to that speech of like just making modern references. And it's great. It's fantastic. And I here, like it. And here it is. Choose life was a well-meaning slogan from a 1980s anti-drug campaign. And we used to add things to it. So I might say, for example, choose designer lingerie in the vain hope of kicking some life back into a dead relationship. <laughs> choose handbags, choose high-heeled shoes, cashmere and silk to make yourself feel what passes for happy. Choose an iPhone made in China by a woman who jumped out of a window and stick it in the pocket of your jacket fresh from a South Asian fire trap. Choose Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, and a thousand other ways to spew your bile across people you've never met. Choose updating your profile. Tell the world what you had for breakfast and hope that someone somewhere cares. Choose looking up old flames, desperate to believe that you don't look as bad as they do. Choose live blogging from your first wank to your last breath. Human interaction reduced to nothing more than data. Choose 10 things you never knew about celebrities who'd had surgery. Choose screaming about abortion. Choose rape jokes, slut shaming, revenge porn, and an endless tide of depressing misogyny. Choose 9-11 never happened. And if it did, it was the Jews. Choose a zero-hour contract and a two-hour journey to work. And choose the same for your kids, only worse. And maybe tell yourself it's better that they never happened. And then sit back and smother the pain with an unknown dose of an unknown drug made in somebody's fucking kitchen. Choose unfulfilled promise and wishing you'd done it all differently. Choose never learning from your own mistakes. Choose watching history repeat itself. Choose the slow reconciliation towards what you can get rather than what you always hoped for. Settle for less and keep a brave face on it. Choose disappointment and choose losing the ones you loved and as they fall from view, a piece of you dies with them. Until you can see that one day in the future, piece by piece, they will all be gone and there'll be nothing left of you to call alive or dead. Choose your future, Veronica. Choose life. So, yeah, you just heard it. That was great. Um, but, yeah, again, like the, the idea of cramming that in there, like on paper, sounds really stupid. It's, yeah, on paper, I'm like, okay. It's so, like, we're just we, literally we're, redoing yeah. it, we're but just, updating we, we it. We got to have it. We got to make But it works. It fucking works. Because he, he's talking about Facebook and but Twitter. It, and, exactly. And it has to do with his performance, like when he's done, how he kind of like is like, well, yeah, that's what we did. Like, it just that you get this sense of it. She's just kind of like, okay, all right, you guys are fun. <laughs> he even mentions that it's a parody of a, what does he say? Like a parody oh, of, of a, a campaign? Of a, an anti drug ad in the 80s. Right. Uh, Which I didn't know at the time, and that makes it even better. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite moments in the movie, and I like this. So throughout the movie, I think there are visual and audio references that put call back to the original. And of course, one of those big audio references is Lust for Life by uh, Iggy Pop. Briefly. Briefly. There's like a, there's a, it's like, a, well, it, there, first there's just a sound, like a, like a, just the mu music, right? Just the music cue without the, without the lyrics. 
Yeah, we, we have that a couple times now. My favorite is that, so at the beginning of the movie when um, Renton first comes back, he goes to see his dad. Played by, what's the guy's name? James, James Cosmo. James Cosmo, fantastic actor. The mom is gone. The mom is dead, yeah. She's gone. Uh, but he goes back to see his dad and he goes into his room. And we remember the room because that's where he detoxed from heroin with the with the train wallpaper and everything. And he opens up his record player and he pulls out this record and he puts it down on the record player and he drops the needle and we hear like the static and then we hear the like first drum beat of Luster Life and he immediately picks it up, picks up the needle off it and just pulls the record off. Because and that's like because to me that's representative of his old life. Of yeah. him falling back into the the pits of what he used to be and he doesn't want to do that. Okay, so that's okay. I was gonna ask you what you thought that was, because yeah. then later at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, he puts it on and just plays it. Yeah, he's back in that room and dancing. And that the the splits the it cuts back and forth between him from the first movie yeah. doing like the same. I mean, clearly having done heroin, yeah. uh, doing the same pose where he takes his shirt off and leans back, and yeah. he does the same thing in the in the new one. So I'm like, oh, what are we saying here? Well, I think that that's going saying like that he is on a path back to his old life to some extent and okay. because in the movie he does starts doing cocaine with um, does he do cocaine in that he scene? does i didn't i don't remember oh, seeing that, him actually do it i'm pretty sure well based on how he's acting when when him and johnny lee miller are standing in front of the tv and they're talking about the the footballer on tv which i believe i may be wrong but i believe that same guy was the dude that was on the tape in the original movie that they took from tommy I was supposed to be i think so yeah it was supposed to be a tape about him but it ended up being tommy fucking his girlfriend <laughs> which ultimately led to his death yeah yeah i know it's kind of fucked up eh um I, what i really like is when they're kind of like mansplaining football to veronica mm. she just kind of looks at them and i think she says that they should just be with each other yeah oh yeah it is reminiscent of chasing amy <laughs> yeah <laughs> why don't we all just fuck <laughs> yeah that, well that's what happens next you mcgregor is like we all have to have sex together mm -hmm. and and veronica slaps him and says i'm not your fucking whore that's i'm right. his whore because i'm working with him in this right. brothel we know where our bread is buttered. Um, but yeah, so the, yeah, I think he's on cocaine in that scene. And because, of course, later on, and this is one of the moments in the movie that I'm just a little weird about, um, although I do like it, uh, when they do heroin again. And Sick what, Boy what, and Renton. Well, and you should talk about what leads to that. Uh, well, they're out. They, they go out to have a tribute, right? For to Tommy. Uh, for to Tommy, they go out to the Kevin McKidd who passed away in the first movie. Yeah, they go out to the hill. By the way, I want to just mention before we talk about this. I loved in the beginning of the movie we see like clips of them as kids, and we see what kid that is clearly Tommy because he's got the the curly blonde hair. Yep. Uh, so that was a good detail on their part. I really appreciate that. But they go out to the they go out to kind of the mountains, the green plain mountains whatever where they had gone in the original movie like they had gone out with tommy and so um spud wants to lay like a wreath not a wreath but like a, a thing of flowers, flowers yeah. yeah wants to lay a flowers and go as a memorial and so while they're out there they uh, uh simon and renton end up getting talking and they basically uh go through their worst traumas with each other and well because 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 simon tries to make renton feel bad yeah, because, because he says oh you're so above this don't forget you sold him his first hit exactly you got him on the path that got him killed and, and then he and then and then interestingly because remember in the first movie we never like actually found out whose baby that was that died in yeah. this one it's confirmed yeah. because renton says don't forget about the well how old would she be now yeah 20 she'd probably have kids she'd of her probably own. have kids of her own and we cut to the footage of the baby at that horrifically yeah. died in the first one yeah. and um and, and and when that happens um 
and they both look at each other and then yeah cut to because he them. says to him like how do you deal with that how, how do, do you, you deal with that yeah. and he says how do you deal with that and then cut to them doing heroin them doing heroin and it's an interesting visual callback too because I felt feel like in that scene that is a strong visual callback to the first movie like the colored lighting everything them doing heroin is very clearly meant to evoke the first film because they're doing that thing again the, the, my problem with this scene though is that they do the heroin but then it never really comes back again well like, I mean the, there seems to be yeah. an indication from by the end of the movie that maybe that's the path he's going down but it's not explicit I also have a question though because they're doing the heroin and and Renton has made it clear he's been clean for 20 years has he been clean for 20 years because remember there is one scene that makes me think that he's not yeah and that he's lying and it's a scene where uh, Simon eventually one of the people he tried to blackmail comes forward and is like this guy's trying to blackmail me and Simon has to go to court and he might go to jail and everything so Renton and Veronica go seek legal advice and look who it is it's the girl from the first one that he banged and then told him she was 15 years old Oh, that was who that was. I knew she was from the first movie, but I couldn't figure out who she was. Yeah, Kelly McDonald. Because yeah. remember, she says to him as right. he's leaving, Veronica, that the girl Veronica, he's like, she's too young for you. Yeah. That's the little <laughs> reference there. Wonderful. Ultimately, he didn't know he was with someone that young. But anyway, that's a, that's a thing that probably doesn't age so well from the first movie. But my point but is... I, li- I like that they brought that character back and that she's like successful in her life. And she only has that one scene, yeah. but you know. But my point is, um, in that... In that scene, she asks him. She asks him, like Simon, does he is he still doing heroin? And he's mm. like, no. But he's, you know, they tell her she, he's doing cocaine. And like, what about you? And he goes, he, there's a pause, mm. and he looks at her and he's like, no, not for not for twenty years. <laughs> and for a second, I was like, that could be a lie. Yeah. How does sick boy intend to plead? It's actually Simon these days. Right, Simon. Oh, I see. Um, uh, not not guilty. Fine. Off the record, the police have told me that the USB drive does have Simon's prints on it and that in searching the flat, they found the mobile that the bank details were sent from. Right. As well as the cocaine, of course. Well, that was just for personal use. Quite a lot for personal use. Well, you know Simon. I certainly remember him. Does he still take heroin? No. Do you? No. Not for 20 years. That's really good. I'm not saying he's an addict, but I feel like he's had some slip ups in that 20 years. Well, my other question was, and I, I and this is a cons- and this maybe is getting too much in the weeds, so forgive me if that's the case. But like, forgiven. So, if if neither of them have done heroin in 20 years, let's say they haven't, uh, and they're doing heroin again, are they smart enough to measure their dose out? appropriately because that's what killed a guy like philip seymour hoffman where he went back to heroin after not doing it for a long time and he used a similar dose to what he used to use right when he was last doing heroin and that was too much because by that point as a heroin user you would have built up a tolerance being sober for so long he didn't have that tolerance so when he took it it was too much and it killed him so that was wondering if I guess that's again maybe that's too deep in the weeds, but like, did these guys were these guys smart enough to do a little bit rather than you know what they used to do because they probably would have been doing a lot because they did a lot of heroin. Yeah, uh, I mean they lived. They didn't so. die, so yeah, exactly. So they must have done the right amount. But ultimately, like they didn't live. But like, if he's going back to that, you know, he's already had a, a heart valve problem, and he, and he even says like you know they said that that this new thing that they put in my heart is going to last 30 years what am i gonna do for 30 years if they told me three years i could plan it yeah yeah no <laughs> he's disappointed that they've given him a, like 30 more years to yeah. live and you know what there's I, 
there's something to that, like because the idea of like when you see people that know they only have a certain amount of time left, their attitude can change substantially about life. I mean, it's because I mean, and by design, because if you don't have much time left, then you're going to try to make the most of what you do have in a way that people that don't have that kind of sentence upon them, you know, maybe don't because they always think there's more time. So ultimately, yeah. So the, the, I mean, this movie, this movie has, I think, more of a straightforward plot than the first one, but it also still feels character driven. Yeah. Like there is a plot. Essentially, they're trying to run this brothel, but yeah. that's basically it. And that Begbie is uh, just escape prison, and he's not in prison anymore. And then you know, yeah, because like it, there's plot points, but it also doesn't feel super plot driven. And I no. appreciated that that it was like. We're going to make this one a little bit more focused, mm. but it's still not going to be a, like a focused, like no. straightforward A to B, A to Z movie. And we get a lot of those nice stylistic touches from the original where we have like certain freeze frames and we have like text on the screen. And, but I and would argue less dynamic visually, mm. but I think there's a reason for it. Well, because the, the, the dynamic calls back to the original. When they go into those sorts of lighting and those sorts of editing, it is specifically calling back to the original. But I also think that, like, I think they're relying on it less be, just mm. to, just because these guys are older. Yeah, and then they don't need to because the movie doesn't need to be a retread. Like, it, it, it does bring back these things, of course, but, it, you know, it doesn't need to just redo them again. It's doing a new thing with these characters and seeing where they're at, and that's what I really like about it, you know. Yeah, and the characters have matured, so it's almost like the like the style has matured. Yeah, I mean, and, and it definitely has, because we've got, we've got these actors uh, with 20 extra years of acting experience under their belt and a director with 20 extra years of directing experience under his belt. A guy, as you said, who has gone on to make like something like 28 Days Later, which is a, a cult Steve beloved Jobs, film. Slumdog uh, Millionaire. Slumdog Millionaire, which won the fucking Best Picture Oscar. Whether you think that was appropriate or not, he won it. Yep. And then he made, was it Sunshine? Was that? He did a Bond movie too, didn't he? Did he do a Bond movie? I think so. Which one? No, maybe I'm thinking of Sam Mendes. Yeah, yeah. How, wait, how do you confuse? Guys, I always get Sam Mendes and Danny <laughs> Boyle confused. Always. They're like they're like a they're like a Disney uh, sitcom about twins. You, you never know who's in the class. Road to Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> wait, about what? A, about an Indian kid who joins the American Mafia. <laughs> wait, wait, I'm not getting the Road to part. <laughs> but the Road to Perdition. The Tom Sam Hanks. Mendes That's a Sam Mendes movie. Yeah. I don't know why I thought it was a Ron Howard production. No, no, Sam Mendes, you know, of American Beauty fame. You know the guy. Mm. Also directed 1917, which was uh, one of the last movies I saw in the theater. With me? Yeah. Jason, I want to talk about when, when Begbie does catch up to Renton. <laughs> yeah, because he, he runs into him in a club accidentally. Right. It's a great scene because there, he, uh, of course, Begbie can't get it up. Yeah. And uh, to... Uh, which leads to another hilarious scene where his wife is like, the second time it happens, she's like, it's okay, really. And he goes, oh, shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he goes into uh, he goes into a, a club and he takes a bunch of Viagra. Yeah, there's like a whole like fucking fridge full of Viagra in the back. So he grabs a bunch and takes where, it with Where him. is he when that happens? Is he in the strip club? Like that? Oh, would, maybe. Okay. That would, oh, I guess okay. if anywhere was going to have a huge stack of Viagra, it might be a strip he club. He steals a bunch of Viagra, and of course he takes like three of them because he's Begbie and he's exactly. An idiot. Yeah, he's an idiot. <laughs> and, and and he's he's about to take them in the washroom, and the thing falls, and Renton's in the next stall, 
And he's and he's just like, oh, like looking at the Viagra, and you know, Begbie's of course like, give it back to me, you fuck. And uh, he slides it back over to him, and they both kind of exchange, and then they both look up yeah. at the same time and have a moment of realization. We have this wonderful shot where we can kind of see between the two stalls that they're in that they both are having the realization at the same moment that right. it's the other person in the stall, and then it fucking breaks bad, and Retton has to fucking get out of there. And I love how when Begbie is climbing the stall, it doesn't quite make sense. I don't know if you noticed, but because he climbs it almost like a mountain. He puts his, there's no foothold where he puts his foot <laughs> and he's climbing it and stuff. And I'm just like, oh, okay, I get it. Because the movie ultimately, as as much as we said that the, the, the it's it's kind of matured visually, visually, there are still some moments that it's just like, oh, this is like, this is not realistic intentionally. Mm. Like this is a moment where we're supposed to be like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And then, he, and then he chases him. Uh, Renton jumps onto a car and I love how he has that same smile as he did in the first one when he yeah. almost got hit by the car yeah. and he <laughs> still stabs him like as he goes by yeah he's he's like riding on the top of the car like there there was a movie I saw years ago on TMN I don't remember what it was but it was like the the, the end of the movie had these guys like with their the end of the movie had these guys with like their arms across the like, Pootie Tang top. No, I don't think it was Pootie Tang atop the tr- uh, across the top of the truck and they were like racing or whatever and that reminded me I don't think so. I don't think it came out around that time. Uh, I'm not that old, Jesus. Uh, but yeah, so he's doing that, and Space Jam: A New Legacy. The car drives by. Nope. And Begbie has a knife, and he just fucking slashes his arm all the way down on the way by, and it's yeah. pretty brutal. Like it's. And then later we have the final final bit where he catches up to uh, uh, to Renton and. Renton is he falls and because of the way he falls he gets a thing around his neck and is being like hung just to back up for a sec we have the most blatant other film reference where Renton is in this like constructed bathroom with like you know reflective glass on the inside and Begbie fucking smashes through oh, with a yeah. sledgehammer and sticks his head through like Jack Torrance and he's like oh you fucking cunt or whatever fucking he says. That, which is like uh, his catchphrase uh, <laughs> and yeah I, but I, then yes he, he ends up like Renton falls down and catches his neck in like a um, in a cable and is being hung or sorry I'm sorry let me try that again he is being hanged hanged and of course and I thought that for a second when baby started pulling him down I thought he was trying to pull him no, down no he was trying to finish him off which is crazy and then he kind of hugs his legs and he says it's okay yeah it's okay but, of course, thankfully, uh, Simon and uh, Spud come to save the day. But my question is, would he have killed him intentionally, or is that just a happy accident that he's willing to just let happen? Because I don't know if he has it in it to kill someone. Begbie, you mean? I don't know. Uh, well, he was hauling down on his legs to hang him. But he would have died anyway. The way, because Begbie did not put a rope around his neck and hang him. No. He fell. But he also was willing to aggravate the situation by grabbing sure. his legs. sure. But he still didn't initiate it, though. Mm. I'm so wondering you're, if you're thinking that like, in his head he could justify it to himself morally, maybe, or that he just doesn't have it in him to fully kill someone. Mm. Like I don't think he could put a bullet in someone. That's true. I don't know. Have we ever seen him actually murder someone? No, no. Just heard him talk about yeah. it. But yeah, he does, and then of course Simon makes the save, and uh, Spud hits Begby with which the which is one of the okay. So this movie has a great, a great bit of like the Chekhov's gun thing that I of setting up something, which was the the pepper spray because very early in the movie, when dude is getting fucked in the ass by Veronica, he realizes there's a a, a camera there and gets really mad, and of course then uh, Simon comes in and pulls the pepper spray on him and and threatens him and gets him to leave. So that's set up relatively early in the movie, and of course I forgot about it. And then at the end of the movie, when he comes in and pulls the fucking pepper spray out, brilliant. Brilliant. Good writing, guys. That's great. I love that shit. 
<laughs> I think this Boyle guy's got something. Absolutely. <laughs> you mean from Brooklyn Nine Nine? That Boyle? <laughs> yeah, sure. Danny Boyle. D- Danny Boyle's cousin. Right. Uh, if if they had an episode of Brooklyn Nine Nine where he was he. We saw the Boyle family again, and one of them was Danny Boyle. I will die. By the way, quick side note, folks. I am excited for the last season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I know, and I'm sad that it's the last one. I know, I'm sad too, but also, it's a great show, and I'm interested to see what they're going to do in this post-George Floyd world. Yes, in this world where we should have known years ago, really, but where we uh, we know all about the cops. We know, and, I, and that's the thing, is that people like me, I love, I love cop shows. Like, I love... I loved cops. I loved live PD. Because those cops are usually nicer. Nineteen two. Well, also on on a show like Cops, you see what they want you to see, right? So you mm. see people acting in the way that they believe is represent should be representative of the department. You don't see people being corrupt. What I've always said about Cops, though, it's a, it's the least racist show I've ever seen. <laughs> in later years, they got they got better about showing lots of uh, different races of people getting taken down. Their main common uh, uh, thread, though, was that they were all poor. Yeah, so you get a lot of rednecks, I guess. Rednecks, a lot of, a lot of rednecks and, and meth addicts and things like yeah. that. Uh, R.I.P. cops, I guess is what I'm saying. R.I.P.D. One thing we should mention, before we forget, is that Spud is a budding writer. Yes, and, and he's kind of positioned as he might have written the novels. Well, that's it, that he's a stand-in for Irvine Welsh. Now, I don't know that Irvine Welsh went through these experiences, did he? He, did. he oh, was he addicted did. to heroin. He actually, okay, so, yep. so all right, so he's clearly the stand-in then yeah. uh, via Spud. Because, yeah, Spud is writing these these things, and Veronica is like, these, you know, people will probably read these. Mm. And then, of course, we have that moment at the end where Spud's, uh, uh, I guess, ex-wife or estranged wife is like, hey, I thought of a title. <laughs> and, you're, and then and then it cuts to that last scene with the trains yeah. on the wall. So it's like, oh, God, yes, yeah. God. Um, My favorite, too, is when Begbie finds Spud mm. and makes him read a story about about Begbie. And he's like, oh, I was going to take you out, I swear. And he's like, oh, remember that night? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, I pissed he's, in my jeans. That's the thing is that, that he's telling the story that he, has, he remembers it. And Begbie's just like, yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> that's great. And then that's how much of a fucking psycho he is. He's like, he did this terrible thing and he just laughs about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, any other big major things you want to mention? Uh, I can't think of anything offhand, Brendan, but I do have a notes for Bits and Bobs, so that may come up. Well, shit. Then what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. We're going to hear from some of our sponsors, and we will be right back. Age of Radio. Wow. <laughs> Choose facts. Choose right after an ad break. Choose important facts. Choose bits. Choose bobs. Choose Jason and Brendan. Here we go. Bits and bobs with Jason and Brendan. Begbie being denied parole is exactly what I expected from the beginning of this movie. Oh, okay. Here's the thing. This is the thing I wanted to say earlier. Did you, okay, so I, I'm guessing, Brennan, based on what I know of you, you watched this movie with subtitles? Mm-hmm. Okay, which was a good move. Yeah. Uh, did you notice that the subtitles were not literal? 
Yeah, so the American release of this movie, uh, the subtitles, are they also translated some yeah. of the slang to the, American. The, the biggest ones that pop up is anytime somebody is referred to as we, which I think is pretty self-explanatory. In yeah. the subtitles, it says little. So he says, oh, we, Fergus, and he's like little Fergus in the subtitles. But you know what? I kind of also appreciate No, this. I do. Certain things like like where, so there's a Scottish word that they use called, that is Ken. It's like, uh, uh, I went to the store yesterday, Ken. Meaning, I know, you know, like it literally means, you know, and that's how they translate it in the subtitles is, you know, but and, and that's cool, I, I guess, on one hand, because Ken, you know, if it just said Ken, I wouldn't necessarily know what they meant without looking it up. I'm not as I'm not Scottish, nor do I have time to be. No, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're Canadians and that's what we have time to be. Oh, I love it. We didn't mention this at the beginning, Jason, because this is more of a bit, a bit, bit and or Bob, mm. but I love Spud's monologue at the beginning where he's in uh, like Narcotics Anonymous and he's talking about how he's like, I, I was an hour late for this. I was an hour late for this and I was an hour late for this because he's, he doesn't know what daylight savings yeah. time is he's like <laughs> i was a fucking swag uh addict, or what does he call Skag it Skag addict for 20 years for 20 like, years and then it, and then they're like and then you went back on he's like yeah i went back on heroin it was my <laughs> only friend <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, i mean it's kind of sad but it's also kind of funny that he's just like i didn't know what daylight savings time was i'd love that this is really dark but i love it when spud writes because he writes a suicide note in that scene where he puts a bag on his head i love that he puts it in a final notice envelope not, not only because the dark joke that, you know, final notice, yeah. I'm dying, <laughs> but also the, just the added detail that he has, like, an envelope from, like, when he was given the bill yeah. to be like, you have to pay this yes. now or we're going to cut you off. And, that, and, and that's the only envelope he has. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about, briefly, the one of the most brilliant scenes in the movie that we haven't talked about yet. Okay. Which is where Sick Boy and Renton go to rob the... Uh, uh, the bar how have we not talked about that i know scene? it's crazy so it's so the, the conceit is they go to they want to go rob this bar and steal people's like credit cards and P- shit please and please tell me who they are because i didn't get that um so i guess the, the 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 historical context of it was that there was a conflict in the 1600s between king james the second of england and king william the third catholics and protestants catholics and protestants james was a catholic william was protestant and they got into a battle in 1690 and the catholic william the third won and the people at this pub were all protestants that were I guess you would describe them as very conservative and very much the people that would celebrate this particular battle and the Protestant um, victory over the Catholics. And so they go to this club to rob it. So right out of the gate, there's nothing crazy about that, but I noticed they have 1690 written on their arms. And and of course, that's when the battle happens that they're talking about. So they go in there and they begin stealing credit cards out of people's uh, wallets and stuff and whatever they can grab. And they go to leave and they get confronted by the by the bouncer who's like, oh, I haven't seen you lads before. Perhaps you'll give us a song. And they improvise a song. And they go up and improvise a song. Which and is believable. Yeah. Because so many times in a movie, not so many times, but I've seen this kind of scene before, yeah. right? And it's like, okay, but they came up with that on the fly. But this, this... I yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it's clear that a good improviser. There were no more Catholics left. Yeah, exactly. Knowing exactly that these people don't like Catholics, so if you go with that bit, and yeah, exactly, it it, it works out wonderfully. They they do this dumb song, and it gets everybody happy, and then they leave, and then it all pays off. Yeah. When they go to the ATMs and they start putting the credit cards in, and everybody's fucking pin number is sixteen ninety. Almost. There are some that they type it in. It says no, and they throw the card. Yeah, they away. throw the card away. But clearly, but like that was such a brilliant thing that yeah. all these Protestants would have to pick sixteen ninety, and that was what they were going to go rob. <laughs> he 
Typical. <clears throat> it was on the field of battle of hope we were bereft. But by the time that it was over, there were no more Catholics left. Let's do it again. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> goddamn. And of course, criminal-wise, let's talk about. I want to mention Spud for a sec because Spud realized his talent was that he could forge signatures. He could just see a signature once and sign it. And we have a Pulp Fiction moment where he does a little motion in the air and it like signs on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and you know that he starts making money doing that. And then she's like, "Well, what happened?" He's like, "Well, the internet and electronic banking and stuff. Like people just transfer stuff that way, and there's no more room for an honest thief like me or an honest criminal like me." Uh, did you notice that they mentioned that Swanee, aka Mother Superior, had died? Yeah, drug which, dealer? which was, uh, I believe, what was uh, Rent Boy's response was like, uh, "I can't believe he wasn't dead already." Like, yeah, he's obviously a huge heroin yeah, addict. Yeah, and a dealer. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's a target, and he's uh, his health isn't great. Oh, uh, another callback that I really liked is uh, briefly when they're you said when they're using all those debit cards and getting all that money. You briefly hear Sick Boy doing his Connery impression. Mm. Remember in the in the original when he right, talked yes. about how much he loves Sean Connery. Yes. Yeah, that was a nice little callback. I, I missed that totally. I'm glad you pointed that out. Because he's just like, oh, got a little lot of money or something like that. One bit again, something that doesn't really ever get resolved, but like Sick Boy gets nicked for. Um, blackmailing that guy like that guy goes to the police and so he's now like being charged and in the system but we never see that pay off i mean not that it really matters but like it just doesn't go i mean yeah we, we don't see it resolved but right. actually that's the thing given this way this movie ends like we could see another movie in another 20 years if danny boyle wanted to pull like a before sunrise or he something. has said that he wants to he said he wants to wait till they're geriatric he wants to make his clerks three yeah he wants to wait till they're like in their 70s which I am down for. I want to see T3 train spotting. And if there's one reason to protect Ewan McGregor, Ewan Bremner, Robert Carlyle, and Johnny Lee Miller and Danny Boyle at all costs, yes. that is the reason. Do not kill those people, folks, because Please. we want to see T3 train spotting. Listen, I know your feud with Johnny Lee okay, Miller well, has reached a cataclysmic height. If you want to kill Ewan Bremner, it would probably make sense if Spud was dead by the time the next movie happened. Please don't kill Ewan Bremner. Please don't kill Ewan Bremner. He's a lovely man. He's a great actor. Don't want to see anything bad happen to him. <laughs> 
This is going to age really badly if Ewan uh, mm. Bremner gets me too or something. Oh, God. Well, I still don't want him dead. I mean, I don't wish, I don't uh, wish death on anyone. I don't know. I'm pretty sure last week I had to cut out at least 20 minutes of you just talking about Kevin Spacey's corpse and how much you would fuck it. You're into the dead folks. That's not the kind of corpses I like, Brendan. You know that. I have fucked a corpse in a long, a long, long time. time. A long time. <laughs> you know, if you have sex with the dead, they don't complain. <laughs> Obi-Wan, that's fucked up. Yeah, that's the Jedi way. We're not allowed to have uh, wives, you see. <laughs> There's a moment in this movie where I think Danny Boyle is addressing potential criticisms of this movie. Oh, yeah, uh, where uh, uh, the uh, sick boy says to Renton, like, you're a tourist in your own youth. You're a tourist in your own youth. Uh, you're not here for Tommy's funeral for some sort of memorial. No, this is nostalgia. This is nostalgia, yeah, and using it in such a wonderfully, like, like just, like, awful way like it's just nostalgia for and, you and that almost sounds like danny boyle addressing people yeah. who might say this is just nostalgia this yeah. is nothing this is just why are we going back to the well and thankfully the movie is not that it's no. not just pure nostalgia it, it 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 justifies its own existence um my heart sank during that scene by the way where we see renton and sick boy doing heroin together yeah. because i thought i i thought that that wasn't going to be a thing that happened in the movie. I truly thought Renton, that one thing about him was that he wasn't going to do heroin. He finally had gotten off that, got that monkey off his back. But no, do we see the worst toilet in England again? In Scotland? I don't know if it's if it's the same toilet, but we do see some pretty bad toilets looks, in the process of him trying to find a a, a uh, stall. It certainly looks similar. It was it was clearly a callback to that. You might he, say that it was something completely similar. It was completely. Absolutely, Brendan. Thank you for tying it in. <laughs> Does that mean we get a dollar? Uh, at least. I like how Begbie says that Spud is a shit writer. Who would want to read anything by you? And then as soon as he talks about Begbie's exploits, he's like, you may have got some hidden talent here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The, the, again, Begbie's psychotic narcissism. He's like, yeah, I did that and I'm proud of it. So I'm glad you're writing it down because I want people to know about it. So then at the end of the movie, Spud saves the day when Mark is being hanged and Simon goes to save him. Begbie, or not Begbie, Spud picks up a toilet <laughs> And clocks uh, uh, Begbie across the head with it and knocks him out. So they take Begbie, they put him in a car, they put him in the trunk of a car, and then it's kind of left hanging for a bit until we realize that he's been dropped off in front of the prison where he was, um, the whole where car, escaped. where he escaped from. So they just left the car in front of the prison, and then, of course, the prison guards come out to get him. So that's great, because that means that, again, if they do T3, he's still in prison, so maybe he gets out again. We don't know how. T3, rise of the... Rise of the... Rise of the Begbie. Begbie, yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, it's interesting that this time Spud is the one that, that fucks everybody over rather than Well, Mark. Veronica. It's Veronica, but Spud is working with her, and he yeah. talks about kind of the dilemma in his mind of doing it to mess over his friends. And he also has that nice moment where, you know, she sa he says, I don't want my share. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend it on Skag. Give it to my wife and child. Yeah. Absolutely, because he's so sweet. He's sweet, despite his despite his demons, despite his problems, that he still wants the best for his wife and child, even if he can't directly give it to them. And even as an addict, though, like I, I like because the other guys, like you, you feel bad, obviously, because they're addicts. Hmm. But you feel like they do stuff that's like it doesn't really cur uh, curate sympathy. Yeah, I feel like everything that Spud does does incur that sympathy because he doesn't do anything bad to anyone no really like he's just no. kind of sad he's sad he's he's abusing himself he's he's you know fucking up and and continuing to be a heroin addict but yeah no he's not trying to fuck anybody else over if you can avoid it now he's a heroin addict so you know i'm sure he's done some uh, some thefts and some bad things in his time but but at heart he's not a terrible psychopath like a bigby right jesus 
All right. Well, I'm going to tell you this, Jason. This movie was uh, planned as far back as 2007. Yeah, it's been a while in production. It's been a while. Uh, in 2007, Danny Boyle said he wanted to make a sequel to Train Spotting, and he said it would take place nine years after the original film, based on that uh, the novel Porno, yep. based on the novel Push by Sapphire. <laughs> um, but he want he actually said, I want the actors to look ravaged by the passing of time. I want them to look older. And then he even joked and said, like, uh, you know, it might take a while because actors are incredibly vain. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And and to be fair, like, Ewan McGregor looks fantastic in this movie. Like, that's the thing. He is, he is aged very well. Uh, yeah, Robert I mean, Carlyle he, certainly has an older look to him. <laughs> I mean, Ewan McGregor does look like he's older, but he's... He's aged in the best possible way. Johnny Miller looks great uh, in yeah. this movie. Again, aged, Ewan Bremner but, looks but the still, same. Yeah, Ewan Bremner Honestly. looks pretty Slightly more wrinkles, but basically the same. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and Ewan McGregor, in a very Scottish way, said uh, in 2013, I'd be so chuffed to be back on set uh, with everybody, and I think it would be an extraordinary experience. I hope it was. I'm sure it was fun. Yeah. So they talked about they talked about the uh, in 2014 they were talking about the movie being made and Welsh or Van Welsh like the, the the author of the book said we're not interested in doing something that will trash the legacy of Train Spotting we want to do something that's very fresh and contemporary and he said that's why it's taken so long we don't want to make a cash in sequel we're working on something that will aesthetically and spiritually follow the these guys and luckily for them it worked out I mean unlike the long process to make the remake of uh, uh, Whiskey Galore which then turned out to be pretty much a pretty straightforward remake of that why movie why bother this this time worked out in its favor and, yeah. and we got a movie that was worth watching right and and so the other the other thing too is that I read about and this makes sense now having watched the movie but it was difficult to get some of these actors yeah um, because Johnny Lee Miller had a big uh, television schedule yeah, at elementary. the time. Yeah, yeah, and and all, and so did uh, uh, Robert Carlyle. What's he on? I, I don't know, but he had, he had a lot. Apparently, he had a lot of things going on. John Lee Miller did too. Yeah. Ewan McGregor, like he, obviously a huge name, but he had a movie career, right? He yeah. wasn't doing TV. He so he had probably had a little more flexibility into that. Yeah, sort of thing. easier yeah. to tie him down. But I think that's why. And I don't I don't know. Ultimately, this is why they wrote it, wrote it into the script. I don't think so, but. This is why Bagby is not on screen with a lot of the other guys for most of the movie. Because like he they, has that one scene with Simon and then that one and then the fight scene, yeah. which could have easily been cut between yeah. like without without they having could have them. filmed a lot of it without him there. Yeah, like without with separate shots. Exactly. Um but uh, but yeah, thankfully, it, like that's the thing is that even if even if he hadn't have been available, like if if he if he'd have been available for the whole time, I don't think they would have done much different. Like I think this was the way it had to be. Um, here's a little bit of trivia for you. Hit me. Uh, in the first movie, Johnny Lee Miller's Scottish accent was his actual Scottish accent. Yeah. However, um, when he did the uh, the second movie, he had a he had to get a dialect coach because his accent has changed over the years. Well, that's it, and and I imagine doing like living in America and doing an American TV show like it's and, gonna, and a hit American movie. Yeah, it's gonna hackers, hackers. Yeah, yeah, Johnny Lee Miller and hackers. The most accurate American accent I've ever heard. Yeah, it was great. Uh, yeah, so yeah, absolutely, and and you see that throughout all sorts of people. I I, I you, you you live somewhere for a while, you pick up some of the speech, you know. And, and of course, uh, Ewan McGregor jokingly uh, said that the reason he had to get a dialect coach this time is because he wasn't drunk this time around. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that uh, most of it, Spud is, is a stand-in for Irvin Welsh. Actually, when he's like dictating his stories, mm. some of those are word for word from the book. Yeah, 
So. And it's in that dialect, which is cool. Yeah. So he said, okay, so Danny Boyle said he wanted to make a third one. He wanted to make one when they're older. But he said, most likely what would happen is I want to make this uh, this spinoff because there's a novel mostly about Begbie. Mm. And he, and he kind of, he said he wants to make it. He said, I think Carlo would love to do it because it's an interesting twist on the character. He said, you couldn't call it T3 because some of the other characters come into it. They're only going to be featured momentarily. Uh, and he said, it's a, it's a solo story. Uh, he said, it's called The Blade Artist. And uh, Robert Carlyle said he was up for it. So maybe one day we'll be talking about that movie. I, I do love the character of Begbie, uh, and I would be f- absolutely chuffed to see that movie. He, now, Danny Boyle did say he wasn't keen on directing that movie. Mm. He said, if I'm going to direct another movie with, the, with these guys, it's going to be a direct sequel. Yeah. I don't want to make a spinoff. Uh, he said, uh, my affection is toward all four of them. Yeah. Um, and he, he also said, he also kind of said, Danny, we'll talk about the, some of the, some of the people that said that the first one was Renton's movie. Yeah. Like that was focused on you McGregor. He said he doesn't think it was really, he said he thinks it was all four guys movie. Well, I feel like this movie is more all four guys. Yeah. Movies. I think the first one is more you McGregor. I, I, yeah. I, I don't know why he would say that. It, it's clearly Renton's movie because it, he is the, the through line of it all he's well, the guy it, he's the glue and that's what he said he he said like danny boyle said people say that because of the voiceover i'm like well yeah because if you establish someone doing the voiceover that's that's our that's who we're following yeah that's our the perspective we're kind of seeing it through the eyes of unless you're like the uh john travolta film the fanatic in which we get about three or four different people doing voiceovers <laughs> and that movie's a mess and it's terrible and please watch it also uh dune lots of narration by lots of different people there you go <laughs> Also, a flawless movie. Oh, flawless. I'm sure the new one will be much better. Well, we'll see. If it doesn't have a Tangerine Dream soundtrack, I don't know how it could be. Um, so Rotten Tomatoes, this movie has an 81%. So 81% of critics liked it. Uh, the overall consensus says T2 adds an intoxicating, emotionally resonant postscript to its classic predecessor, even without fully recapturing the original's fresh, subversive thrill. Uh, Robbie Collin of the Telegraph said uh, he praised the writer for refinding the voices of the characters and said McGregor is the dramatic linchpin of the film. Um, Peter Bradshaw of the Guardian gave it four out of five and says it has the same punchy energy, the same defiant pessimism. And then finally, Anne Hornaday of the Washington Post said the movie is a respectable exercise in film uh, in fan service. Budget of this for this movie: eighteen million pounds. 13 of it went to Hugh McGregor, I bet. (laughs) No, actually, you know what's funny? They all took a reduced pay, and they all agreed to be paid equally. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool. That gets rid of the egos right away. Absolutely. I mean, not that I I see a lot of ego there, but who knows? I don't know these people. I mean, I feel like they're all buddies. Yeah, I feel like they would like each other. Yeah. Um, But 18 million pounds, what do you think it makes? Uh, 50 million pounds. Almost. It's 42.1 million pounds. Okay, that's a profit. Definitely not as big a hit as the first no. one. This movie this movie almost came and went as far as as far as North America. Because mm. I remember them talking about it, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, I can rent it on YouTube now. Yeah. Oh, when did it come out? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'm glad I saw it. Jason, do you have anything else to add? No. Very good. But what would you say... That what would you? How would you describe the trains you spotted this day? Two of them, Brendan. This is uh, you know this is the sequel to a movie that I didn't want a sequel for, but the sequel was what I wanted. 
I mean, it was it was unnecessary, but and there have been plenty of unnecessary sequels that are like, okay, whatever. Like, do we need Hangover two and three? But we got them. But this one, you know, it builds on the first. It lets us explore these characters more. We get to see where they've been and where they're going, and man, I I, I enjoyed the shit out of it. And is it as good a movie as the first? Probably not. But it's still a damn good movie and a worthy follow up to Train Spotting. And I appreciate it because. So much could have gone wrong, and it didn't. It all went right for the most part, and and it's an entertaining movie. And you would, if you like the original, you absolutely should watch the second one. And I also got to add to that and say that it's not only just like because you watch you watch a movie sometimes, and you say like that was a pretty good sequel. Yeah, this is just a good movie. It is a good movie. It, yeah. It's not. It, it's a movie where I'm like I can say that. Like it's a great movie, and it's not only just like oh, really good for a sequel. It's just really good for a movie. Yeah, I, I think this is a movie you could totally watch and enjoy if you'd not seen the original. You you obviously you benefit more from having seen the original, but I think it, it's it's entertaining enough, and you get enough context in it that you could enjoy it on its own. Yeah. Now and now, obviously, I don't think I would put both Train Spotting movies on the list. I think I think that's no. kind of redundant. Yeah. I think it's fine to just have the first one. For sure. But this is like I, I mean, I was. I had moderately high expectations, but it still went a little bit above that. Yeah. And I think uh, I was blown away by how how well this worked. Absolutely. Yeah. And and, it, and it's, again, it's not a retread. No. It's a thing where we take the characters, we've matured them, we've changed the story, they're all kind of coming back. Everybody is in a spot that makes sense. Absolutely. Like any, whenever we saw the character at the beginning of the movie, I said, oh yeah, that's definitely what yeah. that character would be doing. Of For course sure. Spud is still struggling. Of course Bagby's been in jail the yeah. whole time. <laughs> of course Renton has gotten clean again. Uh, you and know, Sick Simon is still fucking people over. And he's now he's going by Simon. Like yeah. it's just, yeah, it's great. And I think this movie also makes up uh, for the fact that the first movie didn't have the strongest female characters. Mm-hmm. Um, because Veronica is a very strong female character and she gets away and gets the money and gives it to her mother and her son, I believe. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I I think this movie is great. Yeah. I really liked it. One of the better movies we've watched on and now for something completely similar. What a, what a great way to end this series of mostly disasters. Yeah. It's not been, it's not been great. It's been a, it's been a slog for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's it. So Jason, now it's very exciting. Yes. We are going back. Back to the list, baby. Back wow. to the BFI Top 100. We have 10, count them, on every finger. 10 movies left. And really, we're only drawing out of nine because we already know the third man is the, is the final movie we're covering that is on true. this list. But will we carry on next week we've been waiting for it man we've been working so hard i believe is is this uh, week uh, uh i draw or you draw you draw and hand it to me and i read so i get to hold the envelope and folks get ready hold on to your butts i am going to draw one of the 10 remaining films out and jason is going to read it now jason i will say that if you see that it's carry on at the kyber you need to not get excited you need to calmly read the number first of course all right what number is it Jason? We are going to watch film number six, Brendan. I, how does this keep happening? <laughs> I know. We are never going to Kyber. 
Uh, this may be, I believe this is one of the... Um, is uh, it, I, I think I know what it is already. This is uh, uh, Kind Hearts and Coronets. This is, so this is going to be the final Alec Guinness movie. Yes. And boy, oh boy, Jason, we are going out on a lot of Alec Guinness because I believe he plays something like seven roles in this movie. Nice. All right. He, I, he, I believe he is an entire family. This is this is wonderful. This is a, that he's clumping it up like this. It's... Uh... <laughs> None of us are the clumps with Alec Guinness. <laughs> Sign me up. Um, not, not that I'd want to see this, but you know he'd do the black. But if this is our final Alec Guinness movie, then this is a a fantastic way for him to go out on the on the list. We better drink Guinness next week. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, it's been decided. It's been decided. <laughs> All right. Well, Kind Hearts and Cornets, number six on the BFI Top 100, and it's an Ealing Studios comedy. So you could see some hot takes from Jason potentially because you've been hot and cold on these things. Some are great, some aren't, but and, we'll see. And and mostly hot and cold on the Alec Guinness ones, so yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens. This is his chance to redeem himself in my eyes. <laughs> yeah, he's really he's really waiting with bated breath. <laughs> <laughs> he's up in Republican heaven, being like, "Oh, I hope Jason likes this one. This this could be the one. He'll know that I'm a comedic genius. If he if he likes me, maybe I'll get to go back to Earth. Never. Oh, damn. Ooh, uh, I should have known. Uh. Yeah, you lost Iowa, yeah, when I beat you in a chess game. Do you think in Republican heaven that people mix up David Niven and Alec Guinness? All the fucking time. Yeah. Hey, Alec, really liked you in a matter of life and death. Why, I oughta. That's, that's right. That's what he would say. <laughs> well, there you go. T2 train spotting. That's the weird title of the movie. Don't worry about it. Uh, that is the podcast. We're going to talk about kind hearts and cornets next week because we're going back to the list. But for now, Jason, I just have to say uh, you can find us all over the webs. Yes. All over the internets. We are at, 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 the at symbol. Yes. F-S-A-C pod on Twitter. Check us out. Find us on Facebook for screen and country. Uh, we are on all the podcast apps. Of course, our home base is Age of Radio. Jason, where can they find you? I'm at Jason D. McLeod. That is M-A-C-L-E-O-D over on Twitter. Check me out. Uh, stop by. Say hello. I had a fella say hello today and, and uh, say nice things about our podcast. I so saw thank that. you, sir. Yeah, that or guy. Lady. Uh, yeah, that person on Twitter who just started watching our podcast, listening to our podcast. And I like your comment about sorry for the early episodes. Yeah. <laughs> think it, we, we do. I think we get better. You know what? I don't think the early ones are that bad. No, they're fun and they're great. And, and it's not like we started it in like 2015 where they might be dodgy. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> so, we were perfectly dodgy. fine. There's no problems. I'm sure. But I assure you the sound quality gets better. Mm-hmm. So Jason, uh, and also make sure you, when you're following Jason on Twitter, he does heroin about once every two hours. Every two hours. It's uh, like clockwork. Yeah. So uh, if, if I don't respond, it's because I've nodded out. Or dead. Or dead. One or the other. <laughs> on that on that upbeat note, I will say, join us next week for Kind Hearts and Coronets. But until then, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Spot it. It's I got a lust for life. I got a lust for life. Bum, bum, bum. Liquor and drugs, liquor and drugs. Brendan, let's go to liquor and drugs. Show's over. All right, let's go.
Yeah. 